educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm. Live from Cedar College, Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Welcome everyone. Live from Cedar College in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Charlize and my co-hosts today are Mackenzie, David, Logan, Lucas, Hayden and Damon. Our special guest for today is Fred Rubenstein, an experienced gambler. Hello Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No worries. So just quickly, our first question, how did your gambling addiction begin? I think it began, well, it's a loaded one. It began very early, I'd say, in my um, early childhood years. I was an obsessive gamer, like arcade games, you know, that you put the coins in yeah. and then and then PlayStation games. And I was just obsessive gamer and gambling became like a natural progression for that. Also, my old man was a punter. So, um, and I come from a, a long line of mathematicians. So it was a pretty normalized thing in my, my household. Um, so I, I actually started gambling properly and regularly for probably 14. And then it really escalated around 18. But yeah, I'd say it was just a natural progression and evolution of my obsessiveness yeah. with gaming. What was like your biggest challenge that you faced when gambling? Oh, that's a good one. Actually, I haven't got that before. What was the biggest challenge? Being honest with myself was my biggest challenge because I was really selling myself the lie that I could win and that I could be a hero and have success in gambling. And, you know, in hindsight, I know now, of course, I can't and I don't think anyone really can. Um, But, yeah, just not not being honest with myself and you can't really be honest with other people if you're lying to yourself, so... Yeah, that's probably my biggest challenge. Um, how did watching your dad gamble influence you? It influenced me a lot. And, uh, and the scary part of it is very subconscious. You know, like people at the time said, oh, you know, you're just like the old, your old man or you're punting, you know, as some sort of connection to your old man, yeah. the trauma of losing your old man. And I was like, nah, I just like gambling and I like games and I like sport. It's just uh, makes sense to me. But I think growing up, and losing that connection yeah. to myself, you know, being a young person, not really knowing who I was at the time and also being uh, an obsessive competitor and an obsessive gamer and just being obsessed with winning, being seen as, as some sort of hero. I think all those things are like a perfect storm, you know, and, and the old man was, yeah, a big, big factor of that, um, of both the, the nature and, and the nurture of, you know, seeing that. And also the fact that he was a very well-respected businessman and mathematician. So there was no kind of negative connotations from that. Yeah. And that was one of the hardest things was, you know, accepting that I was like a failure or that I'd failed in this, in this realm. But I don't think you can really succeed. I mean, the toll it takes on you is much bigger than financial. It's emotional, psychological, relational, you know, familial, relational. So, yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a complicated beast. Um, but yeah, losing my dad was a big part of that. When you were gambling, did you feel like you had a connection with him? I think again, subconsciously, it wasn't something I was sitting there thinking like, oh, you know, I feel connected to my old man. But I think part of it, gambling was running away from yeah. the pain of not knowing what I want to do with my life, you know, being, um, getting depressed, just having access to a massive inheritance and not knowing how to manage money properly and just being yeah, obsessed with sport and games and it just 
spiraled. And the more pain I would feel from what I was doing, the more I would gamble. You know, it was a, a, spiral, a shame spiral. Yeah. And it just got worse and worse and worse. So was it just your father that influenced you to gamble or was it other family members? In terms of the family members, yeah, it was just, just my old man. Um, but I was so, like, headstrong and so, like, overconfident in, you know, I can do this and um, I can win in this realm. And I, it's all I wanted to do at that time. And I just really didn't know what else I wanted to do with myself. So, and having that ridiculous access of, you know, all of that money and all the different ways I could gamble. Like I'd go to the casino and lose or even win. And on the way home, I was on the online casino, you know, and it was just ridiculous, like completely lost control of it. And yeah, the more anxiety and shame I'd feel, the more I'd gamble. So it just became a really ugly spiral and storm. Um, do you still have the urges to gamble? That's a good question. Very rarely, very rarely. It's been um, six years and a couple months sober now. Yep. And it's not a daily, a daily thing. It, it comes up every now and again. Like COVID was hard. Yeah. Because you know, being at home all day, um, and you know, I'm a very outdoors, high energy sort of person. So that was really hard. Um, and you know, the footy being on all the time. Yeah. There wasn't much to do. So it, it, the triggers came around then. A couple other things have, have kind of triggered me randomly. But you know, I kind of know what to do when they, they come up. I can just kind of let them pass. And, and get support if I need it. But no, it's not a daily it's not a daily thing because I'm busy. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'm doing something purposeful. So it's like I've kind of moved on from that. You know? Yeah, you're distracted by Yeah, exactly. I'm focused on what I'm doing now. Like that, that was me like six, seven years ago. Yeah. It's like I've moved on from that. So um, no, it's not a daily problem I face anymore, luckily. Um, during your first few months of sobriety, what was your average day like? That's a, a good, really good question. It was strange because I was still in that kind of, I was very nocturnal at that time, like sleeping during the day, being up all night gambling. And I still kind of had that behaviors. And it went from those obsessive extreme behaviors of gambling and I took them into the gym. So instead of being at the casino all night, I was at the gym, which sounds crazy. And it was a little bit, but that's still better. I'd rather be in the gym than in the casino. Um, and then I just, I, joined a soccer club as a player and I realized that I was no good. So I, and then I went as a coach um, and I thought I'm actually half decent. I enjoy this. So, um, so it was a little bit of this and that. It was gym, sleeping, a bit of soccer training. I enrolled in a uni course um, and then I got into a before and after school care job. So it was a little bit here, there and everywhere. But I think the key was being busy and um, yeah, doing something that engaged my mind so that you know i felt those triggers less because yeah the first couple of months is hard because you have those you know compulsions it's a habit you know it's an obsession and being busy and doing something an alternative is so important in that first step of just getting out so yeah that's a really good question yeah. you were talking about going to the gym i'm just wondering do you still go to the gym <laughs> i do I've, I've been a little bit up and down with the gym I, I was so obsessive at that time. It really dropped off and, and then I've been back and forth. I'm, I'm in at the moment, but I'm oh, yeah. trying to be a little bit calmer than I used to be. I'm doing like Pilates and yoga and trying to do cardio and weights once a week. Um, and yeah, that's, it is really important for my physical and mental health. Uh, I'm not as fit as I was like four or five years ago when I yeah. first stopped because I was just, all I was doing was just working out. I was just completely obsessed. 
yeah. um, the same way I was with gambling, which wasn't sustainable, but it was a good way to start turning my life around, you know, and stop gambling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I try to go uh, occasionally. And actually what I do at the gym, I go to a place called Brighton Bars and something that's been massive for me in my recovery journey, especially the last few years, is cold, hot therapy. So I actually swim in the beach every day in the ocean and I go in a steam room and that really relaxes me and brings my mind down, um, which gives me more self-control. So that's actually really important part of my lifestyle and routine. At your peak of gambling, what was your day-to-day life looking like? Oof, it was ugly. Um, I would sleep during the day. So I'd get home around, let's say, 8 a.m. to like 4 or 5 p.m. And, you know, that makes you pretty depressed not seeing a lot of light. Then I'd go wake up, you know, go out for mates with dinner because, you know, we just finished school. Um, and often going to like a pub, you know, betting on, on dogs and horses, which I really didn't know anything about. Um, I'd always two or three grand there, you know, because I had access, access to a really big inheritance of 220 grand. Then I'd go from there, you know, my mates would go home, go to sleep, whatever. Go from there to the casino. I'd be there for six to eight hours, you know, 10 to four, 12 to six, 12 to eight. And I'd pull out, I'd always bet around four grand because that was the maximum I could get in cash. So it's two grand cash withdrawal um, per day. And then I'd wait till 12 o'clock, pull out another two grand and I'd lose four grand, four or five grand, almost probably nine out of 10 times that I was at the cast. And then I'd go home, you know, Uber and, and sleep. And that was my day for about a year. So yeah, that was my day for about a year. And I knew that it was getting worse and I, and I was losing control, but I just wasn't ready to look at the damage that I'd done to my life, what I was doing to accept the money that I'd lost. And just the fact that I wasn't going to be a winner in this space, it was just such a hard thing to come to terms with. And yeah, thankfully with a lot of support, I could over time accept that it's impossible to achieve what I wanted to in that space. And there's a lot better ways to achieve what I want to in different spaces. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM, live from Cedar College in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Charlize and my co-hosts today are Mackenzie, David, Logan, Lucas, Hayden and Damon. And our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. Uh, so when you were in the casino, what was your favourite game to bet on? Oh, I was a bit of everything. Um, probably roulette. Roulette, played a bit of blackjack, poker, baccarat, just everything to get that kind of, you know, that instant gratification, that stimulation. Um, probably roulette. Um, was the most arousing, you know, because you bet on the numbers, it, it's, it can be such a big win. And, and there's just so many tricks of the trade that they have to get you and capture you and keep you there when you're there, you know? Yeah. How often do you reckon you won? 10, 20%. I mean, it depends. Like, yeah, at the casino, yeah, between 10 and 20%. I'd walk out with a win. And then on sports gambling, probably around the same, maybe a little bit more depending on the odds. But the more you go, the less rational you become, you know, the more impulsive you become and you're just, you're not even thinking about what you're doing. There's, you're not rational. You're, you're acting on emotion and impulse. And it took me a while to accept the fact that I actually had a problem and I needed help. It was beyond familial and friend, you know, I needed professional help of a, of a therapist to help me understand 
what I was doing, why I was doing it, you know, who I am and how to manage myself. And that took years, years to trust the guy to open up, to realize what had happened took years. But I couldn't be here where I am now and I couldn't have stopped in that, in that phase without having that support. It was, for me, impossible. Um, did seeing a lot of ads of gambling on the TV and, mm. you know, just around posters and stuff, that influence you even more to keep doing it? Yeah, it would have. Yeah, it would have. I think I was very headstrong, so I probably would have done it anyway. But even now, like, it it, it, it doesn't trigger me as much as it annoys me. Yeah. And the fact that the marketing and the advertising is going up, really, yeah, it just annoys me. Like, if I hear it on the radio, I'll just turn it down or change channel. It just really annoys me. Because it's, it's such a... I feel like they have too much power, the agencies, yeah. and it's such a false picture, um, a false reality of, you know, they try to make it all sociable and fun and lighthearted. And that's just not what it's like for a problem gambler. It's just the opposite. It's ugly. It's dirty. It can destroy your life. You know, you can, it can get really dangerous. Yeah. And they're not your friend. They're not, they profit on your harm. And, you know, they want to take everything you have. You have a, a conflict of interest with them. So this concept of fun and games and you know just betting with mates and this and that it can be social but if it's problemed they they love that and and they profit from that and and that really annoys me that they're allowed to paint this picture of you know everything's all hunky-dory and it's all fun and games when in reality it's not and they don't want it to be yeah just going back to when you were going out with your mates and eating dinner you said that you were betting on dogs were they betting with you they would but much smaller yeah like much smaller they, did they influence you on betting on dogs and stuff instead of betting on the footy? Not really. I mean, a, a little bit in the sense that they were betting on dogs, so I would, you know, jump in because yeah. I didn't want to miss out. But because I was so stubborn and 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 overconfident, I was just like completely out of control. I was just like, I'm just going to bet on anything. Yeah. And I don't want to be like seen as the one not betting. So, yeah, it, it was an influence. But they would bet like – one percent of what i would bet you know yeah i was betting hundreds thousands you know i lost 16 grand in one day once i just had no control so they were looking at me and they couldn't understand why i was so extreme yeah. and obsessive and it was because i didn't have control like i had an addiction i was a compulsive gambler yeah um and now that i know that and realize that i do other things compulsively i'm still the person i was then i just do different things yeah and i understand myself better you know now i'm a compulsive educator and a compulsive soccer coach and a compulsive cold water swimmer. So I just have changed the behaviors, yeah. changed the environments and the routines. And that's really helped everything. But I couldn't have gotten to that place without the support of therapy, which isn't the way for everyone, but it was for me. And the skills and tools with a the therapist that I learned of understanding who I am and how to manage myself properly. Yeah. Uh, from an early age, did your mum know you had a gambling addiction or did it take her a couple of years to find out? Probably in the in the last in twenty fifteen I'd say I was in it was in full fledged and then twenty sixteen I was gambling less because I had less money. Um, that was kind of my transition out of gambling. And twenty seventeen I stopped at the start of the year. So in twenty fifteen, probably in the back half of the year, it was getting really obvious. And then early twenty sixteen, when I'd lost my two hundred twenty thousand dollar inheritance, when I started stealing from her, she, you know, she, it became very abundantly clear what what was going on. Um, and she was just really, really stressed and angry and it put a lot of tension on our relationship, on the household dynamic, on the relationship between me and my siblings. Um, and I'm lucky now that I've been able to repair that and I have a fantastic relationship with my mum, but it took years of positive actions 
to rebuild that trust and respect that I've yeah. lost. Because, you know, when you steal from someone, that's really, yeah, it's a really bad thing. Like she can't trust you with having a purse around and needs to check her bank statements and be really careful. But after a few years of hard work, you can, you know, turn that around. Um, going back to when you said you would go out with your mates a lot and you weren't too sure if they were always influencing you, do you ever feel like you influenced them? Probably a little bit. Yeah, probably a little bit. I'm lucky that I have a really stable friendship group that, I mean, and then they have, you know, good self-control and they're quite self-contained. So none of them that, that I know of became, you know, progressed into problem gambling where, you know, kind of took over their lives like, like it did for me. Um, but yeah, I would say I did. Yeah, I put a lot of pressure on them saying, oh, you should do this, Miles, you should do that, do this, do that, you know. It was part of my obsessiveness and lack of control and obsessiveness with odds and beating the system. So yeah, I would say I did influence them. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not particularly proud of that. And it, to be honest, it took a while to stop doing that altogether because, you know, when those odds, like you were saying, the advertising one, it shoved in your face. And you see promotions and you see certain odds and you go, oh, that's really good value, you know. But I know I'm not going to take it. <laughs> so I'm like, you should take this. But I'm realizing anything, doing anything like that is promoting it, you know, and enforcing their will or my will onto other people, which is not right. So, yeah, it took me a while to realize that that influence was quite negative and can be quite toxic. And I was lucky that it, it, it didn't, spiral out of control for them like it did for me so obviously the relationships with your friends and you know your family members would have changed mm. what was like the biggest challenge with those relationships like with your mother how did that play mm. out it was very it was very tense the biggest challenge is you lose the trust and respect because at the start you know you, you kind of have the benefit of the doubt and then after a while of lying when you're what you're saying isn't match, matching your actions people they stop trusting you you go, this guy's dodgy. You know, I, I'm not respecting what he's doing. I, I don't trust his word. I'm winning this. I'm winning that. You know, they, yeah, so that you lose that trust and respect. And it took a lot of time and hard work and honesty to rebuild that. So I'd say the biggest loss in those relationships was they, they lost trust and respect in me. Yeah. And that's like fundamental to any like healthy relationship. And yeah, it put tension, especially when I was borrowing from friends, which, um, luckily I've paid back over time but yeah put a lot of tension on the relationships and it was just really it was really not nice it was really not nice I, I just felt like I had a blanket over all my problems and everything that was actually happening and it wasn't until I uncovered the blanket and started being honest with myself that I could be honest with them yeah. and start the journey of recovery and rebuilding those relationships and that trust and respect yeah so going back to you used to steal from your mother mm. to support the gambling when it got bad and you got caught from your mom going to therapy, how much did that help and how long have you been doing it? And you're still doing it. I am still doing it. I go much less regularly. I go probably three monthly, you know, yeah. as just like check-ins unless I need sooner. Um, I've been in therapy now seven and a half years, kind of at start of 2016, end of 2015. Yeah. Um, oh, that was fundamental. Absolutely fundamental because as a kid, I was like the wild child and gambling was just a symptom of not knowing who I am. And it was just a symptom of my personality, my impulsiveness, my obsessiveness with winning and games and competition. And, you know, the trauma of losing my dad, who was also a punter and having access to an inheritance. It was like a perfect storm. 
And until I could understand that and understand myself and unpack those problems, yeah, then I could start to work through them and manage them, you know? And it took a long time. The first year I was lying to the guy, you know, I was lying to him, you know, trying to cover the fact that I didn't have a, uh, that I had a problem. I was trying to hide it yeah, and lie to him about what was going on. And it took a year for me to actually trust him, you know, respect him. And he was just so good and so professional and so competent that over time I really invested in that relationship and in that process. And through that, I got to find out a lot about myself and, you know, who I am, why I am, how I am and how to manage myself. And guys, I'm one of the lucky ones because not everyone has a mom that you can steal 20 grand from and she's still going to pay for high level psychiatry and take you there because you're not going to go if she doesn't. I'm lucky. Not everyone has that money. Not everyone has that level of support. You know, I'm very lucky and I'm lucky that I could deal with, you know, not just the gambling, the traumas and some other issues that I had in my life that all came together that was a factor in the gambling. So I'm really lucky. And that's one of the reasons I come and speak is I feel almost obligated to give back some information about what, you know, my story and the way in which I've recovered. But the fact that not everyone has the opportunities of recovery that I've had, not everyone has the level of support that I've had. And it's really important to get the message out there that it's okay if you have problems with gambling, it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to reach out to help to anyone yeah. and just say, well, I'm, I'm having problems, you know, like I'm, I'm struggling and that's fine. And then it's, yeah, that's the first step is being honest with yourself and then other people. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's absolutely fundamental getting support, whether it be professional or, or personal. Did she uh, force you into going to therapy or was that yeah. something you did? Uh, hell no. I was so arrogant at the time. I was not going to go. Yeah. But because I stole from her, it was one of the conditions of repayment was yeah. that I'd go to um, therapy with her. And yeah, at the start, I was like, I'm just going to trick this guy, you know, talk talk crap and, and convince him into my kind of gambles logic. And it just didn't work. He was so professional and high yeah. level and had seen probably, you know, 100 people before me with different problems. But just it was just so good at, at what he did. And I actually admired that a lot, that how patient he was, how committed he was to his craft. And I was kind of like, I kind of want to be like that. You know, I want to be a really good person, a really admirable, respectable person. So that was really also fundamental in in changing my mindset of wanting to be gratified instantly into finding a job that was purposeful for me, which is working with kids, working in sport as well. Yeah. And being good at what I do and really having good relationships and and feeling really good and having good connections with people. Um, and that relationship I had with him and that role model that I had of him, you know, that I didn't have of my dad in my young adult years was really fundamental to that journey. Yeah. So I really couldn't recommend it more to anyone who feels like they need some external support. Did you see him uh, when you first went, did you see him more as an enemy instead of a friend? I, I, yeah, a little bit. I kind of saw him as like a school principal. Yeah. You know, like... You know, you, you go into the office, you don't really want to be there. You just want to say what you have to do to get out of there and get back to what you really want to do, which at that time was gambling. Um, and then over time, I realized that actually he was a massive asset. He was in my corner. He could help me a lot. Um, so, yeah, it took a while. It took a long time. But I'm really happy that I stuck at it and I wouldn't be here talking with this clarity yeah. and have this information because I just didn't know. So yeah, that was fundamental for me. Yeah. 
Um, if you were talking to a recovering addict, what advice would you give them? It's a tough one because people will, another question I get is, is there anything that someone could have said to you in the midst of it that would have made you stop? And for me, the answer was no. But if I was talking to a recovered addict, what I would say is that might sound a little bit extreme and gnarly, but I would say that you're going to die. You know, one day we're all going to die. Like, is this really what you want to do with your life? <laughs> you only get one hit at the bat and, you know, are you happy with what you're doing? And if you are okay and if, if it's causing problems, like that's not great, but, you know, be honest with yourself. Like what's actually going on? And I think that's the key is being honest with yourself. Do you have a problem? Do you have control? Is it affecting your life and, and other people around you in a really negative way? And if it is, why? And, and what can you do about it? And are you willing to do something about it? You know, so just starting to ask that question of do I have a problem? What's actually occurring here? Just make a start. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to go off the deep end. It, it's, it's a grind. It's a process. It's not an overnight, you know, it's not an overnight journey. It's a long up and down grind, um, but it's worth it. That's my message as well. It's bloody worth it because you don't have that feeling of guilt and shame. You don't have that anxiety. You don't have that lack of trust and respect from other people around you. You just feel a lot more fulfilled in yourself. And that is so important because you can't get that from gambling. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever like? Do you ever think back and think, would I have felt comfortable showing this amount of humility that you show now and showed to people now? At the time, and no, 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 no way, no way, because I just wasn't humble at all, and I'm still a very self-confident person, um, and I was just not mature. You know, mm -hmm. I was I was not mature, and I was just so fixated in that mindset that I can win and I'm smarter than everyone and you know I'm 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 the best at this and I, I need to be everyone to see me like this you know so I just didn't have that those qualities at that time and I didn't even know that that was my mindset at the time because I didn't know myself I had really poor self-awareness mm -hmm. and I only got that from therapy so uh when you won would you like keep betting that money that you just won or would you go like partying with the boys no, uh, a bit of both. A bit of I, I, I did like to show off to the boys, you know, and be like, I hear the beers and, you know, let's go have a night on me. Like show off as if, you know, I'd earned that money or won that money when I had it. And it was just money I'd been given in my inheritance or whatever was left of it. Um, but no, typically I'd go gamble more. You know, I remember one night, the biggest one I probably ever had was, was 10,000. And they ended up walking out 2,000 uh, down because I just kept gambling, 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 gambling. I, I, I couldn't stop. I didn't know when to stop. I, I didn't have the control to walk out of there, you know? So that's why for me, the only way to abstain from gambling harm is to abstain from gambling because I, ha I didn't have self-control. And I think that's the key. If you can't control yourself in those environments, you know, with that money, if you're in a casino and you have those uncontrollable urges, then, you know, you need, you need some help and you need some support and that's okay. Um, but just be open to yourself with it and then open to someone else that you trust. Just going back to the therapist thing, after trusting him, after the whole year of mm. lying to him and then coming back and actually trusting him, mm. how did it feel to open up and actually explain how you were feeling and, you know, start talking? That's a good one. It felt really good. And I think that the first part of that was actually telling my godmother how much I'd lost. Yeah. And then she'd go, okay. You know, she was really supportive and really even-tempered. And she's like, okay, maybe you should tell him, you know. Yeah. I told him and he goes, okay, it's an expensive lesson. <laughs> yeah. um, 
and it felt really good. Yeah. It felt really good to just share the truth because I was living a lie for such a long time. So the day that I started being honest was the day that I kind of freed my, my, my soul, so to speak, and really started to invest in the journey. You know, it wasn't necessarily the last day I gambled or the day I stopped getting urges or the day everything turned around, but it was just a huge turning point was just being honest, talking out loud, so therapeutic about what was the truth in my life. Um, it was just really powerful. Like I think honesty, being honest is never a mistake. Yeah. I think it's so important and it's just so powerful. Just being honest about what's actually happening. What's reality. So yeah, it was fundamental. Absolutely fundamental to not just tell myself, but to tell some people close to me. Uh, during the peak of your gambling, did your friends try to help you or did they, or did you choose to ignore them if they tried? <laughs> they tried, but yeah, I was, I was very ignorant of them and I was like, no, no, I, I, I can win. I will win. You know, I don't have a problem. Um, and then they just became probably worn down and they're like, you know, he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. Like, you know, you get worn down after a time. Yep. Um, so that's, kind of where they got to and it was yeah, it was hard for them but i'm really lucky and grateful that they stuck by me you know they didn't get rid of me um and they were a huge part of my recovery journey you know yeah. having a really stable supportive um friendship group that are just really humble good human beings who do healthy things with their lives so important you know i can imagine if i kept hanging out with degenerates and addicts that it would have been almost impossible for me to stop, you know? Yeah. So getting rid of a few friends and, and keeping my true friends and people who are really good influence and um, add a lot of value to my life and hopefully I, I reciprocate was was also fundamental in, in sustaining the, the recovery journey. Yeah. At the moment, if you see like one of your friends gamble when you go out, do you like to take yourself away or do you like to talk them out of it? That's a good one. I, I do neither. I let them and I just just get on with my, my business because if, you know, I, I'm not anti-gambling. I'm anti-gambling harm and I'm anti-gambling misinformation and, and misconceptions, which are, you know, spread by the agencies and um, the advertisement and the marketing. So I'm not against gambling. I'm not, no, no, don't do that, you know. But um, if, you know, if they were betting more than they could afford to lose or if it was becoming really problematic in their life, then yeah, I would intervene in some way and, you know, offer support and help. But... I try to just let them let them do them and let them live and and I do the same and and they're quite respectful of that you know um you know it took them a time to realize that it probably wasn't appropriate to ask me like oh what do I think of this bed or that bed or the odds because I was just the gambling guy you know and then they realized no this you know this is much more serious than that um but no I I I don't interfere like I let people live their life and they can make their own choices you know they're big boys um yeah if um, let's say if your dad didn't pass away, do you reckon mm. the gambling would have still happened now, or mm. would have it just never happened? That's a good one. I think I was headed for trouble regardless. Yeah. Just because I think we do have a very good education system, and I've worked a part of it, and it is very good relative to the rest of the world. But I just think at the end of the day, it's kind of standardizes people, and it yeah. kind of puts you in a box, and I didn't really fit that. So I think because of that, I was headed for trouble no matter what. You know, my rebellious yeah. behaviors was kind of a symptom of being disengaged and being different. So I think I would, yeah, I think I would have headed for gambling problems anyway. It might have been less severe. I'd come in a different form or a different time, but I would have had, I think I would have run into some problems at some point and 
probably with gambling. Yeah. I just had so many high risk behaviors, you know, um, that just fit gambling like a glove. So I just think it was inevitable. And yeah, I try not to look backwards and I try not to think what if because it's just like it's a pointless game. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I do wonder sometimes. Um, I would have had more discipline in my life, which would have helped. Yeah. But yeah, I think I would have headed for trouble anyway. I was very high risk. Well, thank you so much for coming out today. We thank really appreciate guys. it. Um, yeah, we really appreciate you coming out to us and talking about your journey. So, yeah, um, it's been great talking to you today, live from Cedar College in Melbourne, Australia. You have been listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Charlize and my co-hosts today were Mackenzie, David, Logan, Lucas, Hayden and Damon. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Educating our community about the impacts of gambling harm live from Cedar College, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. Start the party. Celebrate. I'm sick of nonsense. I want to elevate from that familiar feeling. Pick up my